The title of today's message is Unconquerable Joy from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Again, we are in the book of Philippians, the way to joy. And um, we're going to read from Philippians 3, 1 through 9. You can all stand with me if you would like for the reading of the word and the word of our Lord. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of uh, mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. They also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. And indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Heavenly Father, Lord, Philippians, Lord, is the path, it is the way to, Lord, having joy in our lives, whether we're in the ups or the downs, the ins or the outs, Lord God, on the mountain with angels or down in the valley with demons, Lord God, you have given us this this promise, this gift that comes to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us, Lord God, to receive it, cultivate it, nurture it, Lord God, that it would grow more and more in our lives every day, and we would be a joyful people, Lord God, and that joy would serve as a testimony to all around us and be a magnet to Jesus Christ. For Lord God, we pray these things and ask them in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you a very frank question. Do you struggle to consistently find joy in your life? Do you struggle to consistently find joy in your life through the ups and downs, right, that we all go through, the ins and outs? Are you dependent on outward circumstances or do you have an eternal thermostat where you are consistently experiencing joy? Well, my experience is most people, this is how their life goes, right? It's down and it's up and down and up and down and up and down and up, depending on what's happening to them. They're on the roller coaster of emotion, circumstances, what other people say, how other people treat them, whether it's good news or bad news. Most people live like thermometers and they're controlled by the weather or the circumstances around them. This is a a modern art picture that was painted by a painter. By the way, I think modern art is really weird. But I think modern art, and if you compare modern art to art from years ago, flowers look like flowers, people look like people, right? Bodies look like bodies. Now, again, everything is disfigured, but it's a picture, and I think it's a good picture that expresses the mind of modern man and woman that are on the roller coaster of emotion and living a life of chaos and confusion. 
The purpose of the book of Philippians, I just encourage you with this. When you read the Word of God, I don't, you're reading Genesis, you're reading Psalms, you're reading 1 Corinthians, you're reading the book of the Revelation, stop and ask yourself when you're reading a passage, when you're reading a chapter, what is God, right? What is His purpose in revealing, right, this Word to us? What is His purpose? What is the objective? Instead of reading the Bible aimless, aimlessly, purposelessly, what is God saying right in this specific passage? Because there is always a purpose that God has. And here are three, here are three questions. Let me tell you, three questions worth writing down. You know, sometimes, man, we just miss stuff that could totally change our life. These three questions changed my life. There are some things that, that come by that I'll tell you, when I see a gem, I capture it, I write it down, and I apply it into my life. And some of those things have totally transformed my life. They've transformed my life spiritually. They've transformed my life physically. They've transformed my life financially. When the gem comes by, don't let it pass by. It's a gift from God. Here's a gift from God. When you're reading the Word of God, ask the question, what is God saying here? Second question, what is God saying to me here? Third question, what must I do to conform my life to what God is saying to me here? You get that? What is God saying here? What is he saying to me here? And what must I do to conform my life to what God is saying? And if you didn't capture that, you just had a gem that just passed by your life that could make a significant difference in your life. I know some of you have photographic memories and you just put that away in the photography uh, section of your brain. What is God saying in Philippians? He's saying to us that we can have a joy that nothing in this world can disturb. An unconquerable joy. That is again, right, 24 times joy and rejoice, 50 times Jesus. And that joy comes in our relationship with Jesus. So let's look, I'm going to share with you four things that we see in these first nine verses, more next week. The first thing, rejoice in the Lord. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Rejoice. Rejoice in who? In the Lord, right? Curios. And curios, I mean, in the Old Testament, um, Lord, when you're reading your, your Bible, that is being translated from Adonai, Yahweh, Elohim. Essentially, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord God. Rejoice in the Father. Rejoice in the Son. Rejoice in the Holy Spirit. Rejoice in God, your Creator. Rejoice in God, your Sustainer. Rejoice in God, your Savior. Rejoice in God, your Lord. Rejoice in God. Rejoice in His love. Rejoice in His grace. Rejoice in His mercy. Rejoice in His forgiveness. Rejoice that you are a child of God, adopted into His family. Rejoice that you know Him. Uh, rejoice that He cares about you with, with tender compassion. Rejoice that He has a plan for your life. Rejoice that He has a place for you in heaven. Rejoice in His presence. Rejoice in His power. Rejoice in His peace. Rejoice in His holiness. Rejoice in His word. Rejoice in His truth. And I've forgotten 10,000 other things that we can rejoice about in the Lord. And Paul here, essentially what he says is, I'm going to repeat it to you, much like he says in chapter 4, verse 2, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Notice, he says, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. What Paul is saying, I'm repeating this to you again. Repetition is the mother of success. Anything in your life that you're good at, if there's anything in your life that you're good at, I want to assure you that you got good at it by doing it over and over again. Every one of us. That's the only way we really get good at anything. The secret of success, the mother of success, is repetition. So here, here is, this, is this very key and powerful and effective four words of how to have joy continuously, right? I put it in red, rejoice in the Lord. God is immutable. Give you a big theological word today. Immutable. What does that mean? It means that he's unchangeable. He never changes. God is, is immutable. He does not change. He's always the same. He's never different. Every day, he's the same, but everything changes. Right? What does it tell us in, in oh, Hebrews 13.8? I put Philippians 13. There's no such thing as Philippians 13.8. Lenny would have corrected me on that today. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's immutability. He's never different. He's never flaky. He's never flighty. He's never feckless. He's never moody. He's never hot or cold. He's never inconsistent. He's never unreliable. He's never late. In fact, something I notice, he's always early. Whenever I wake up in the morning and I go to be with the Lord, he's always waiting there for me. Have you ever noticed that? Do you ever notice that the Lord is always here at Living Word Community Church when you come in? Now, you may come in late, but he's always here and he's waiting for you. He's never late. He's always genuine. He's always authentic. He's always transparent. He's always true. He's always congruent. He's always faithful. He's always reliable, dependable, consistent, and trustworthy. You know, there are some people, right? You have them in your life. I have them in my life. You never know who's going to show up, right? Same person. But sometimes they can come to you in 50 different forms. Sometimes they're happy. Sometimes they're sad. Sometimes they're angry. Sometimes they're mad. Sometimes they're moody. Sometimes they're flaky. Sometimes they're inconsistent. Sometimes they're unreliable. Jesus is not. Jesus is always the same. And you know what happens when you have a relationship with him? It creates stability in your life. Look at James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. No variation. Some people... They have 40 different variations of themselves, right? I mean, they're just, just, just always changing. There's no shadow of turning in the Lord, right? He doesn't go this way or that way. There's no variation, no shadow of turning. In Malachi 3.6, for I am the Lord, I do not change. And then he says, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Because you know what happens? Change 
has a way of consuming people. Hard times. Right? Dealing with change. Change can, can wear you out. And when you say, do you know when you hear somebody talk about somebody who's tough-minded? What is it to be tough-minded? You know, we go through life, and then suddenly what happens? There's a, a boulder suddenly thrown down in our path. And some people, they would associate tough-mindedness as being that, that, that tough, bold man or woman who goes up to that rock, and they start banging their head against the rock to break it so they can get through it. And in so doing, they destroy themselves. Their body breaks, their mind breaks, their spirit breaks. To be truly tough-minded is to be like water. It is to be able to adapt and adjust to the changes of life. People who adapt and adjust to the changes of life are much happier and healthier people. By the way, I believe women are far more tough-minded than men. Men might, might, might have that macho tough mind. You look at women. They live longer than men. And I think a lot of that has to do with their ability to just be able to adapt and adjust to the changes that come at us all at life. But being able to adapt is a key to being tough-minded. Second key to being tough-minded is having a strong Belief. Let me say this, a strong certitude, even going beyond belief, that things do change, except for one, the immutable God who is always constant. Everything else changes. Everything, right? You change, me change, they change, he changes, she changes, it changes, that changes, this changes, your body changes, your brain changes, your bones change, your belly changes, and your buttocks changes. The world changes. Nations change, cultures change, states change, towns change, neighborhoods change, families change, spouses change, children change, grandchildren change. Everything changes in science. Some science teachers here. Getting a little scientific with you, though I'm not a scientist. And I think I, I still remember this from science class, right? The hot is basically being transferred to the cold, and they call that entropy. Am I, am I right? Entropy associated with a state of disorder, randomness, or uncertainty, or change. But everything is changing. Everything. Everything changes. Listen to Psalm 103, verse 14. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like green grass, like wildflowers, we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. How many of you remember your great-grandpa and grandma? Raise your hands if you remember your great-grandma and grandpa. Right, a few. Right. I have to go back 63 years 
to remember my great-grandpa on my father's side. I never knew my great-grandma. And um, I have to go back a, a, a number, about, about the same amount, to remember my grandmother, her mother and father. Now, how many of you remember your great-great-grandma and grandpa? Nobody. You don't remember them. You don't really don't know anything about them. Maybe you heard some things about them from your grandparents, but you don't know anything about them. You have to go back really far, probably 80, 100 years. When you die, right, two generations, three generations from now, you will not be remembered. I will not be remembered. You won't be remembered. That's The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. Maybe when I retire, Living Word Community Church, the pastors and elders, deacons, they'll take a picture of me and put it on the wall in the hall. When I used to go and preach in churches, I'd see, right, I'd see that there was a pastor from, you know, maybe 1820, and then somebody from, you know, 1880. And then, you know, you know those pictures, right? You go into the Borough Hall, you can see the mayors, right? And those first guys, they look old. Those pictures have faded. Maybe you do that for me. Maybe. And then the young people who come in, they don't care. They don't care. They don't care who I was. They don't care anything about me, Right? I'm gone. I'm forgotten. You know the song Unforgettable? Who's that, Tony Bennett? Unforgettable. That's what you are. The truth of the matter is, you and me, we're forgettable. I know it's sad, but if you'll notice, we are forgettable. But God doesn't forget us. See verse 17? But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. Everything changes. But God doesn't change. Everything changes. But the love of God never changes. God is immutable. He's always the same. That is, again, that is a key truth. When when the psalmist in Psalm 18, David says... You are my rock. This is what he's talking about. Like you are, you are that great rock right down in the Dead Sea. That right, it stands there tall. The wind blows, right? The storms come. But that rock stands there and just stands strong. That is God. Everything else changes. Everything else is wasting away. To build your life upon that rock. To build your life upon the immutable God, that brings joy. That brings stability. And that gets you off of the roller coaster of emotion. With me? That's a key component to mental health and spiritual health. Because you know what it's like. The hospital, the funeral parlor, the cemetery, the ups and downs. And there is this one stable, there is this one consistent, stable God who never changes. Joy. Okay, number two. 
Rejoice in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2. Philippians 3, verses 2 through 7. Beware of dogs. He's talking about these were, were Jewish leaders who infiltrated the church who said to the believers, now you need to be circumcised to be saved. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. And have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, he was a super Jew. <laughs> Paul was a super Jew. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Messiah Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. You understand in the translation, okay, you have in Hebrew the Moshiach, the one they longed for, the one they were looking for, the one they hoped for, the one that they were just excited to see come, and the Jews are still excited. They're waiting for him. In English, Messiah anointed one king. In Greek, Christos. In English, Christ. I don't know, maybe because of what people say and how they use the Lord's name in vain, I prefer Messiah. I prefer, you don't ever hear people say, right, they stub their toe and they say, M M right, they say, right, M Messiah, right? <laughs> right? They don't, oh, Jesus, Messiah. I, I stub my toe, Jesus, Messiah, right? They don't do that. So I prefer, I prefer Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. I want to share something really beautiful because I could sit here today and talk to you about the Messiah probably until next Sunday and still only cover 10% of it. You know, we talk about the prophecies in the Old Testament over 400. I could just go on, I could just go on. I go through the whole Bible talking about Messiah. But I want, to share, I want to share one beautiful thing about Messiah. So if you go with me to Acts chapter 3, 18 through 21. So Peter and John were arrested for creating a stir because they healed a lame man. So it says in, in verse 18, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, right? Peter's saying this, predicting, right, that the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer. He has thus fulfilled, he says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing, just focus in there for a second, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, Messiah, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. See the word refreshing? The word is anapsuxis. Anapsuxis. And what it means is recovery of breath. So that the times, right, notice it's plural, there will be recovery of breath. You ever been out of breath? You have to really sprint to get out of breath. Unless you're having a heart attack, or maybe you're, you know, in a, in a state of, of, of recovery, but... 
you know when you're out of breath and suddenly you catch your breath, how good if I mean, when you're really out of breath, and suddenly you, you, you catch your breath. The Messiah came for us to catch our breath. So take me back to, um, to Genesis when God created Adam. Chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. You look at the, the word here, essentially, man, Adama, and the word refers to the elements. We are, we are all carbon life forms, right? Made up of macromolecules, proteins, nucleic acids, and carbohydrates. Some of us are made up of more carbohydrates than the protein. <laughs> Not to convict anyone. I had to get that in. So, so the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed. He breathed his, his nephach. His nephach, his spirit. And then the man became a living being, a nephesh. doesn't say that about the animals. Man became a, a, a living soul, a spirit. What is the spirit of man? What is it that makes man different than animals? Man has the ability to communicate with God. Man has the ability to be loved by God, to love God, to know God, and to be known by God, to have a relationship with God. The animals don't have that ability. I've never seen a group of squirrels gather together in a circle and lift up their paws to praise the Lord, nor the dog or the cat, but we do that because we have the nephesh within us. When Adam sinned, He died spiritually. His, his spirit became dormant. And eventually that death, it spread to his body. And then he began to die physically. The breath of God essentially was removed. We look at people who do not have the breath of God within them, and they're in your life. They have no interest in Christ, in Messiah in the word, in worship. They have no one. I, I, I had no interest in God, his church, his son, at all before the breath came into me. So when Jesus is crucified, and on Sunday he's raised from the dead in the morning, when he appears to the apostles, right, that afternoon, he suddenly appears to them. What did he do? He breathed on them. He breathed on the apostles in the upper room. Look at uh, John chapter 20, verse 21 through 22. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Hagios Numa, receive in Hebrew, receive the Rach, 
of God receive the times of refreshing that come from the very presence of the Lord. So, go back to Philippians 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Rejoice in the Messiah. Rejoice in His refreshing. Rejoice in His breath. That, that refreshing breath. Do you need God this morning to breathe on you? That in this crazy world that we live in, right, it can make us exhausted and weary and depressed and drained and bored, tired and thirsty and hungry. You come to Messiah and you say, Breathe on me. Breathe your spirit into me. And maybe sitting there and saying, Well, I became a Christian 30 years ago and I received the Spirit. All I can tell you is I need him to breathe on me daily. And I could not come up here and preach to you unless he breathed all over me this morning. And I could not come here and preach to you on a Wednesday night unless he breathed all over me and breathe his life and breathe his life-giving spirit into me. You'll notice that there is one baptism of the spirit in the book of Acts, but there are multiple fillings. Great song. Stand with me. Stand. I'm sorry I'm disrupting your, your pattern. You ever hear this song? Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew. That I may love what thou dost love. And do what thou wouldst do. Sing it with me. Breathe on me, breath of God, fill me with life anew, that I may love what thou dost love, and do what thou wouldst do. Sing it again with me. Breathe on me, breath of God, fill me with life anew. That I may love what thou dost love and do what thou wouldst do. You can sing that in the shower. I was singing it in the shower this morning. You can sing it when you're driving down the road. You get those words in your mouth. And maybe again, you're feeling that you need, you need that fresh breath of God. That breath that brings joy. And you can just Sing that song to the Lord and open your heart and he will breathe on you. He wants to breathe into you. He wants to breathe all over you. He wants to fill you with his spirit. Okay, you can sit. The joy of the Messiah. That's one key aspect of the joy of the Messiah is that he comes to bring us refreshing. Okay, number three. Rejoice in the excellence. Philippians 3.8 Yet I indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. The word excellence 
Hooper, by the way, whenever you see Hooper before a word, it's speaking about something that is advancing or surpassing. Hooper echo, a surpassing, advancing knowledge. Gnosis, right? Genosis, the, the intimate knowledge of knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus. Compared, he says, to all things. Remember all things, all the titles of Paul, right? His super Jewishness, his titles, his circumcision of the eighth day, being of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisees. He's a super Jew. And you know what he's saying? It's all worthless compared to knowing Jesus. All my accomplishments my degrees, my titles, my trophies, my awards, my net worth, my stuff is worthless in light of knowing Jesus. In fact, look down. You see the word rubbish? Poor, poor translation. Skubalan. Dung. Feces. Excrement. Manure. Droppings. Rubbish. Crapola. Poo-poo. Compared to knowing Jesus. Everything is in the toilet. Compared to knowing Jesus. Flush that toilet. <laughs> compared to knowing Jesus. And it's, it's, it's knowing him, right? Personally. It's knowing him intimately. It's not knowing about him, right? John 17, 3, the Lord said, And this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's intimate knowledge of the heart. See, a lot of people, they know about Jesus, right? But do they really know him? And you know the difference when you have somebody that you're talking to who knows about Jesus as compared to somebody who knows Jesus. You know, I, what I get as a pastor, I'm, I'm a pastor, and all of a sudden they start getting all religious with me. You ever people like that? They're just like, oh, um, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, yeah, let me tell you how about how... You meet somebody who knows Jesus, man, it's, it's different. They know him. And they'll know that you know him. But there's this difference between knowing about somebody and knowing someone. So I'm going to use this as an illustration. This is Sparky Lyle. He was Cy Young Award winner in 1977. He's the first relief pitcher in baseball history to ever win the Cy Young Award as a reliever. He had 238 saves in his career and two World Series rings. I grew up knowing about Sparky Lyle. As a kid, I watched Sparky Lyle pitch. I didn't know him. I never met him. I never spent time with him. I never hung out with him. I never ate a meal with him. Never went to his house. I just knew about him. And then through some circumstances, I got to meet Sparky Lyle, and I actually did a TV program through Cablevision with Sparky Lyle. That's me. That's me, believe it or not. I didn't put... That's a plant. That's really my hair. I didn't put a wig on and a beard. Well, I got to know Sparky Lyle. Did the TV show with him. It's called uh, Inside Sports. We talk about sports and fitness. I got to spend time with him. I talked to him. Eat with him. I put him through workouts. I got to know him. 
He even gave me an autographed book that he had written called The Bronx Zoo. And I read it. I think at the time, I wasn't a Christian, it might have been the only book that I read in probably about four years. He autographed it for me. We talked about some of the stories in the book. He's a character. But I got to know him. He got to know me. There's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing them. The difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing him, it's a vast difference. To know him is to come into an intimate relationship with him, to walk through this life with him, through the good times and the bad times, through the happy times and the sad times, through the night times and the day times, through the laughter and the tears, but it's walking through this life with him, being guided by him, hearing his voice, loving him, being loved by him. That is the joy of knowing Jesus, not knowing about him, right? And then the final one, number four, rejoice in Christ's righteousness. Philippians 3.9. And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. We are saved by faith. We are declared righteousness not because of anything we have done, but because of everything that he has done. And that is the the picture of grace. He took our sins upon himself and he imparted his righteousness to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He took all of our sin upon him that we might become the righteousness of God in him and he imparted all of his righteousness to us. When Jesus hung on the cross, he, he said, right, tetelestai, tetelestai, say that, tetelestai. That's a good word. I know I throw a lot of Greek words at you, and again, it's all Greek to you, and it's all Greek, right? This is one, tetelestai. Look at the person next to you and say, tetelestai. Look at the person on the other side and say, tetelestai, right? You can look behind you and say, tetelestai. You know what, tetelestai, what does it mean? It is finished. He paid the price in full. Giving his life as a substitutionary sacrifice, he died for me and for you and took our place and our punishment of sin upon himself and he imparted to us his righteousness. We are saved by what he did. If there's anything to rejoice about, man, that's something to rejoice about. So I'll tell you this, to stand before God after these years, if I had to try to get into heaven by what I've done, and some people may be listening to this, some people may say, but he's a pastor, he visits the sick, but he goes up, he goes up to the hospital, he helps people. I don't have a chance of getting into heaven, not, not a chance. Because you you can't be saved by your works. In Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. What do you do when somebody gives you a gift? 
That's all you do. You just take it. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, right? We are saved by grace through faith, not by works, but that he has saved us to do good works, but the works that we do are not something that can save us. When, when Jesus died on the cross, right, he took all of our sin and then he gave to us all of his righteousness. How wonderful and joyful is that? So here's our, here's our final keynotes. I'll just give you a review here this morning. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the immutable God who is always the same yesterday, today, and forever, who is always reliable, always loving, always ready to forgive, always ready to comfort, always ready to strengthen, always ready to bless. Rejoice in Him always. Even in the most painful and difficult times. Think about, I think about the most painful times. Some of you know some of the painful times that we've gone through. Some of the most painful times, Jesus was always there and I could rejoice in him. Second, rejoice in the Messiah. He's always there on Meshach to breathe his life upon us. To breathe that, right, that, that life, the, the rock, the spirit of God, the pneuma of God to breathe that joy and that peace and that love into us, or whatever we need. Rejoice in the excellence of knowing Him. Because you are surrounded by people, not here today, but when you go out there today, tomorrow, you are surrounded, they're in your families, you're going to be eating Thanksgiving dinner with them, and they don't know Him. Rejoice that you have been given the privilege, you have been given the honor to know God. I don't fully understand it. I wasn't looking for God. I didn't know what I was looking for. I knew I was looking for something. But I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I prayed whatever you are. The universe. A little green man. Something. Whatever you are. Reveal yourself to me. And he answered that prayer. And about a year later. Jesus found me. You know, people say, I found Jesus. Jesus found me. He found me. And he saved me, and he brought me into that relationship to know him. So rejoice in the excellence of knowing Jesus. And then number four, rejoice in his righteousness. Because when God is looking down at you today, don't raise your hands. We have some visitors here. They'll probably never come back if we raise our hands. How many of you have, have messed up this week, right? Don't raise your hands. There will be some holy rollers sitting in the back. They go, I ain't come back to this church. You got a bunch of sinners in this church. Church was never meant to be a museum of relics. It was meant to be an ICU unit of hurting people. Those are the people that came to Jesus. The museum relics were the Pharisees and Sadducees who thought they were perfect and had no need for God's love and his grace and his forgiveness and his salvation. When God looks at you, he don't see you in your failures. He don't see you in your sins. He don't see you in the bad word that you spoke this week or the moment where you lost your temper. That bad thing that you feel conviction about, and that's good, 
you could bring it to him, get back into fellowship with him. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what's so amazing about grace. And that is something to rejoice about. Right? We got some things to rejoice about. We got some things to rejoice about, right? We should be the most joyful people in the world when you really think about it. Right? Just these four, not to mention everything else in the Bible and everything in Philippians. We'll get more next week. Stand with me. We'll close in prayer. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that you are in our lives. And if, Lord, there's anybody here who has not received you into their life, may this be the day. May this be the day where you just turn to Jesus, repent from your sins, come and confess your sins before God, let him know that you know you're a sinner and you need his grace, his forgiveness, and his mercy. Confess to him that you believe he died on the cross for you and was raised from the dead. And open your heart to Jesus and say, Jesus,